0: We are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews, and uh, last week Todd spoke about uh, faith, this this beginning of this chapter that is all about faith, Uh, and and there's some that call it the Hall of Faith as we look at these different characters from the Old Testament and the faith that they had. Last week Todd talked about uh, the character of faith, the object of faith, and the importance of faith. And, uh, and here we, we begin to see how that faith has played out for people uh, in the scripture. We look specifically at Abraham and Sarah, at Isaac and Jacob uh, and Joseph, and we are able to learn from their experience. The faith that they had in the Lord, in God, in Yahweh was something that changed everything about the way they lived their lives. They had faith in him, and so they went out and they, and they, they did these different things. They were obedient in different ways. And, and, and I think it's helpful for us to think about what it looks like for us to have faith and how that might affect our lives. We, we talk about this sometimes in relationship to other people, having faith in other people and the way that it might affect us. When we were thinking about what we were going to do next, it was before we ended up here. We'd been in Denver, and we were in Memphis looking and dreaming and Praying and thinking about what it might be. We were considering all kinds of things. And there was a guy that we had gotten to know, Billy, uh, when we lived in Denver. And he owned a number of mattress stores. Uh, and, uh, you know, you hear mattress store and you can't help but get excited about that as a possibility to get involved with. Right? It was, it was, it, it was interesting. I, I could talk about it. But so there was a point at which we had already moved to Memphis. We were living with family, considering what was next. And Billy reached out and said, we have an opportunity to uh, essentially, uh, to consider me move, us moving and running a franchise of this store in, it's been so long now, I can't remember if it was Portland or Seattle, you know, it was that way, it was a long way away, right? And, and they had a place picked out uh, that was like the perfect place, and, uh, and we had seen the way that, we had actually had a number of conversations about the way they ran their business, and we were excited about it, right? We really considered, uh, doing this thing, uh, moving across the country, you know everything becoming new, new friends, uh, new new church, a new place, new vocation, all that like this was something that we really considered, and we, we didn 't do it um, we 're here, uh, but the reason that we considered it, and one of the big questions was do we have faith in Billy, this entrepreneur who had started this company and opened multiple stores, did we have faith in him and Um, And part of the reason that we didn't end up doing, it might be that we just didn't actually know him well enough to say, yes, absolutely, 100%. We are going to change everything in order to pursue this, right? Um, That's sometimes a situation that we're faced with. Do we trust somebody else? Do we have faith in them enough to, to, to go and do big things following them? Maybe we've had a situation like that. But what we find in Scripture continually is this call that there's something bigger. And there's someone more trustworthy, and he's asking more of us, actually, than just to move across the country. We do see a big move here, right? This is uh, in verse 8, Abraham leaves his family. He leaves Ur, if we know the story. He was called by God out of his home, uh, and he was called into this unknown place. He didn't know where he was going. So he had some of that experience, and everything changed for him, and actually all of redemptive history uh, as well. He was obedient to pursue that call because he had faith in the Lord and the promises from the Lord. It, it played out in obedience. By faith, verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. By faith, he obeyed. And, and we find in this chapter, this hall of faith, uh, different people who obeyed out of faith. And, and we see in these verses, verses 8 through 22... That faith is lived out with obedience in light of the past, despite the present, and hope for the future. And those are the three points. In uh, in light of the past, despite the present, and hope for the future. So let me pray. Lord, meet us in this time. And allow us to learn more about what it looks like to have faith. To trust in you and to allow that trust to affect our lives in dramatic and beautiful ways we pray these things in jesus name amen the faith lived out in obedience comes in light of the past and for abraham and sarah for isaac for jacob for joseph who are all mentioned in this passage it comes because they believed the promises that god had given in the past we're going to see there's, a, there's another way to think about what happened in the past. But they're remembering the promises of God. God has given these promises. And I think it's helpful for us to actually go back to this really significant passage in Genesis chapter 12, which is this first calling that God gives to Abraham. The Lord, Yahweh, the, the God who, who continually says, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I want a personal relationship with you. He calls in Genesis chapter 12, Abram, and at this point he's called Abram, his name hasn't changed yet to Abraham, and he calls him to this unknown thing. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These, these promises are huge. He's, he's promising to make a great nation of Abram. And, and, and we see that that plays out later, some of the things that are referred to here. Not only go, and then he went, but they were also, he and Sarah, his wife, were invited to believe that God was going to provide a child for them, that would be the beginning of this nation. It's the promise of Isaac. And, and yet they were really old. So old, in fact, that in verse 12, this is how uh, Abraham, is, Abraham is described. Therefore, one man and him as good as dead. I mean, basically, he's super old. And Sarah is also super old, and there's a promise that they're going to have a child, and there's this, amazing, this, this great nation that is going to bless the whole world. Is going to come. I mean, these are just promises beyond what we can imagine, right? But these are the promises of God, and this is what they're invited to believe and trust in. And so we see that in Genesis 12, verse 4, Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. And he obeyed out of Faith, he believed the promises of God. Sarah was invited to believe in the promise of God, and she did. And when she did, she re- it, it, there's this picture of she received power. Look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, so she also very old, since, and the reason that she received that power is since she considered him faithful who had promised. This is, she believed the promise, but deeper than that, she believed the one who promised. And because of that faith, because she believed the one who promised, because she believed Yahweh, the Lord, the one, the God who wants to be our God, who wants to be in relationship with us, she received power to conceive. So life came from that faith. This is, these are really significant stories and promises that come from God. And there is much that is promised. Much is promised that they don't even experience in this life. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. That is the promises went beyond death. We are in the Easter season now. We are in this Easter season reminded that the story doesn't end in death. And in fact, our God has power over death. And there's a sense in which they had The promises that this was true even at this moment. And not only the promises that we've received about the new heavens and the new earth and what is to come. The promises about Jesus that they didn't even yet know about the fulfillment of their nation becoming great and being uh, growing through the world. And then the people of God expanding in the New Testament to all the nations. They, they weren't aware of these things. They died in faith. But they did know still that God was at work and that he was doing something big and that his promises were sure and certain. We, we see as well in verse 17 as uh, Abraham is tested to offer up his son in, in sacrifice, that he did this because of promises that came from God. We're going to get to in the, in the third point why he actually believed that those those promises were real to enter into this incredibly difficult uh, call of obedience that he had. So they had these significant promises, the, the promised land, the great nation, God redeeming the world through them, being a blessing to the whole world. And they acted in light of it. So they did these things that just seem crazy. They don't really make sense, right? And yet they're, they're faithful to follow that. They're, they're demonstrating faith in this way. We also can remember God's promise and faithfulness because we actually have seen him fulfill the very things that they didn't yet see. So we've seen the great nation. And not only that, but Christ described as the offspring of Abraham in Galatians 3, verse 29. There is this fulfillment of these promises that come through Jesus, the one who has continually been described in Hebrews as better than anything else on offer for purpose, for direction, for salvation, for being in relationship with our God. We, we see that that Isaac is born, that he does become the father of this great nation. We see the the blessing for Jacob uh, is fulfilled, this blessing that was given out of promise. We see that at the very last here in verse 22, Joseph is saying, take my bones when you leave this land. At that point, they were in Egypt. They needed Egypt for food because there was this great famine across the land. There was there was no picture of them leaving the land and yet he believed and he trusted. And we've seen that actually happen. We know the history. We have God's word telling us of his works and and many beyond the, the promises fulfilled to Abram and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And we're called and invited actually into this pattern of life. Psalm 145 says this. These are just reminders of what we should be doing in order to remember what is true and move forward in faith ourselves, that is to remember his promises and his works. One generation, Psalm 145, verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. This invitation that we're given, this is just again and again and again, to remember God, to remember his promises, to remember his work, and that from that flows uh, an ability to move forward in obedience that flows from that faith. There are a number of ways in which the the obedience and the faith play out uh, here in this passage and, and we can be uh, challenged to think about what it might look like for us. What might faith look like for us? We, we do see that uh, Abraham is called out of his homeland to this thing that is crazy, right? To go to a place that he didn't, we see even in these verses, he didn't know where he was going. And, and yet he did it. What, what are ways in which we might be called out of our comfort zone? to something different and new. Now, there's some, and this is certainly not going to be the case for all of us, but some are called to do just that, to move away from their home into somewhere else. We, we support missionaries that have gone to the Hinkles in Perth, Australia, um, KJ and Jolte and Chase and Shaw and Paul, Casey, who are in Cluj, Romania. They have, they have followed the call of God to go to a, a different place, and see the gospel move forward, see the kingdom move forward, be a part of the, the global church. Uh, and, and that might be something that, that one of us is called to in this room. And I, I think it's certainly something that we should consider. What, what part would God have me play in his broader kingdom, in his church work uh, around the world? What might he call us to? And, but maybe it starts with something uh, on a more short-term basis. Uh, Dan mentioned that Mark is going to be in two weeks sharing about the opportunity. We're supporting him as a church as he goes for a few months to Egypt, Alexandria, Egypt. And he is filling in for a pastor that is going to be back in the States for that time. And he's going to be preaching and he's going to be in relationship with folks. And Corbin's going to be there with him for that whole time. And Emily's going to go over for a few weeks. And uh, I encourage you to come in two weeks to hear about that opportunity. Um, We have... uh, Paula um, has been many places over the years, and she's going to be going to uh, Central Asia, Southeast Asia. I uh, can't tell you where, um, which is a call, right, to go somewhere that is, is, is difficult, where the gospel is not welcomed, where it, it's, there's uh, even you know, a need for being uh, quiet about it. My son, Patton, is going to be in Buenos Aires, Argentina, for a few months this summer, working with Uruguayan missionaries in a neighborhood with their church and. You're going to be doing uh, Bible studies and things for kids. And um, th- there are ways that we might think about being called to, you know, uncomfortable places or different places. Maybe it's short term. Maybe it's long term. But those might be things that we would consider moving forward in faith. Michaela, just her job that she does working with orphans and where she visits uh, India. And I'm not even thinking about all the places that we've been called and the things that we've done. Right. But um, these are things to think about. Where might we serve? What are ways in which we might uh, Be called out of our comfort zones to serve God in churches. And most of us will be called to, you know, some things like having a conversation with a neighbor, inviting them over for dinner, Um, things that are out of our comfort zone at times, right? Thinking about talking to people about Jesus. Um, But we do this because we have faith in a a God who um, is faithful to us. Uh, As he invites us to do these things, he invites us and reminds us with the great commission that he is with us even to the end of the age. He's calling us to big things, but he is giving us big promises. There's a recognition that stepping forward in obedience and faith, and and maybe it's in, in the kind of ways that I've already mentioned, but in other kinds of ways that we do so sometimes despite our present circumstances. And what do I mean by that? I mean, there's the, the present circumstances that we have, and there's also the present questions that we have. The present circumstances, we're reminded that the Hebrews here are experiencing suffering because they're, they're, because they're following Jesus. And so they're tempted to turn away from Jesus and turn back to the old sacrificial system because of the difficulty that they're having. It, this is, they're, they're in this moment of potentially deconstructing their faith, right? And turning away from it. And and it it makes sense. They have already experienced the plundering of their property, though the the writer of Hebrews noted in chapter 10, verse 34, that they did so joyfully. He he also notes that they're in this moment in in the next chapter, in verse 4 of chapter 12, that they haven't yet suffered to the point of shedding blood, but the indication is that they very well may end up in that place. That doesn't make sense. I'm supposed to be obedient in the midst of that? And and, and we live in this time where the idea of accepting the plundering of our property, basically the idea of things being difficult or unsafe or not getting my rights, that 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 is anathema to us, right? Jonathan Haidt, in a book called um, The Coddling of the American Mind, talks about this term called safety. He calls it safetyism. I think I'm getting that right, and it's this idea that we have this sacred idea of being safe, and not only being safe, but feeling safe in every way—emotionally, physically, mentally, and all those kinds of ways. And anything that pushes against that is uh, is to be dismissed. Safety isn't just something to consider among other uh, ideas and experiences. It is the most important. And that plays out in we wanna be safe and we wanna be comfortable and we expect things to be easy and when they're not, we get upset. And uh, this is, I, I definitely struggle with this, right? Things are supposed to be easy and so the, I get upset when, my, when a, a car breaks down or when my dog pees in the house. This is not the way it's supposed to be, right? And uh, my reaction can, can be uh, an overreaction, right? And we all struggle with this in different ways When in the brokenness of the world. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. In the midst of that, I'm supposed to to be uh, obedient when it means, and to be clear in Scripture and throughout Scripture, it might mean suffering. In fact, there are a lot more promises that it is going to mean suffering, and there aren't any promises that means things are going to be easy. So we struggle with that. God's promises are real even when things aren't going like we expect them to, particularly in this uh, uh, American Western culture where that is the dream that we're sold, that things would go well. But also we have these present questions. They are faithful despite uh, the present questions that they might have had. And we uh, we actually actually know that when these promises came to Abraham and and Sarah, some of them, they they, they didn't make sense. So Sarah first laughs when she's told that she's going to have a child. That's her, that's her first response, because it's so crazy. Remember, her husband is as good as dead. She's also very old. Wait, you're going to have a child? She laughs, right? She doesn't just like, yep, I, mean, I got it. No, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for Abram to leave his family. Uh, I'm I, reading about this passage. The uh, theologian that wrote one of the commentaries relays the story of visiting another pastor theologian. And in his office, he has four pictures. There is a picture of the desert and a picture of the desert and the desert and the desert. And it's like, what, what's going on with these four qu- pictures? They look basically the same. And uh, the guy who has them in his office says, uh, that was when I visited Ur, which is this oasis in the middle of the desert. And I looked north and south and east and west. You have to turn around east and west. And, uh, and that's the picture that I saw. That's what Abram was invited into. He didn't know where he was going, and it did not look good. Um, It doesn't make sense for uh, Sarah and Abram to believe that they're going to have a a child that's going to be the beginning of a great nation, that's going to be a blessing to the whole world. That's crazy. Abraham is invited, not invited, commanded to to sacrifice his son. That doesn't make any sense, right? And there are a lot of reasons that it shouldn't make sense to us. We're not going to dive into all of what's going on in that particular story, but it does not make sense. Joseph, at the very end, believes they're going to get out of the, uh, the land. That doesn't make sense to believe that. And so we come to the word of God and his promises to us, and there's all kinds of things that do not make sense to us, and so we're tempted to reject it, to turn away from Jesus, because sometimes his commands don't make sense. That we would be generous with our finances that we would give to the church or to the poor, we would serve the poor. That doesn't make sense. That we would, we would sacrifice for others. What about my rights? That we, that we would find ourselves in, in moments where we're not getting justice and we have to, at times, recognize that that's going to happen. And to demand justice for ourselves is actually often, not always, but often antithetical to the gospel message. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not constantly seeking justice and righteousness for others and for ourselves, but there are times 100% that the gospel calls us to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus, Mark 9, 23. That taking up the cross, that's, that's death. That's, that's sacrifice. We're, we're, we're called to do What? That doesn't make sense to me. There are other ways in which our culture also pushes against commands of Scripture, that uh, the way that the Bible talks about our creation and our sexuality and talks about gender pushes pretty hard against the individuality of our culture. And, and, and there are times when we say, ah, you know, I'm not really comfortable with that. It doesn't make sense to us. We think about, so I'm just you know, throwing out you know, some of the things that don't make sense to, us, sense to us are often the hot button issues, right? So we even see this, uh, this picture of conception. This isn't directly addressing uh, abortion by any stretch, but there's a picture of God creating life in conception, this promise that begins there. There's something throughout scripture about life in the womb mattering. And at the same time, there is this mention of Sarah, a woman in this time, those that would be uh, pushed to the side. She's in the midst of the hall of faith, is later Rahab, a prostitute, mentioned in this. These, these things aren't always comfortable for us, and we don't understand the ways in which they work together, and, and, and so we don't know what to do with Jesus sometimes. And we might question and, and turn away. We'd be tempted to turn away. But God's calling us to really difficult things sometimes. But what he's saying is that these are good and beautiful. What we find here is that for Abraham and for Sarah and for Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, that what is on offer is actually something beautiful, even if they don't fully understand it. And the same is true for us. Faith is believing and acting on it even when it doesn't make sense. And, and there's this picture of even expecting some level level of discomfort, they know that the home that they seek. It's not the one that they came from, so it's not turning away from the Lord and turning back to something else. They know that they were strangers and exiles on earth. That picture is that they should expect some level of discomfort. They should expect some level of not understanding the God who created them because they're the creatures. It's the same for us. I thought about uh, the fact that we don't often understand, and yet there's something bigger at work, and this is a bit of a silly illustration, but uh, as a child of the 80s, the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi, teaching Daniel son karate. It starts with him having him do chores around the house. Wax on, wax off. He had to clean the car. He had to sand the deck. He had to paint the fence. And and there's a moment where Daniel son is angry. And uh, he uses language that I don't uh, um, commend, but he, he's like, you're not teaching me anything. This is a waste of time. And uh, Mr. Miyagi shows him that the motions that he was teaching him to do those uh, those chores correctly uh, were actually karate moves. Now it's probably not the best way to teach martial arts, but you know, <laughs> let's roll with the illustration, right? He 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 teaches him that this, these are defensive moves. Paint the fence. I'm sure, that's exactly what it looked like. There's like it's got to be really hard uh, in his uh, um, motions, but. They were actually teaching him something even when it didn't make sense to him, even when he didn't understand. That that there's this perspective had because there is a trust in the one who created us and wants relationship with us so that we're able to look to him even in the midst of difficult present circumstances and the questions that we have about what God might be inviting us into. And all of this comes because this faith plays out because there is a hope for the future. There's a hope for the future. They're looking toward, they're actually living toward something else. Their life is directed toward something more. And it, and it, it is, again, in the Easter season, it's, it's living towards something that is beyond death. Because death puts everything else to shame. Anything that we would hope in, besides one who has power over death, is put to shame in death. And yet, even Abraham, without having all of these things revealed to him, he has faith, as does Sarah, as do all of them. They die in faith, not having received the things promised. And yet, the things promised were yet to come. Another 80s movie, uh, The Goonies. Mikey, who is this main character, he is living Directed toward finding the treasure of one eyed will. Like everybody else is like, This is crazy, what are you doing? He's like, No, this is what we're doing. This is everything he was doing, all the decisions he were making was making was moving toward finding that treasure. And so everybody joined with him. Spoiler alert, they found the treasure. He was right to-, to move in that direction, right? We live toward something, whether we're aware of it or not. And what we're invited to live toward. Is a God who invites us into his house, into his family, to be a part of his people, to live with him and for him, and to experience these promises of what is to come. They knew that these promises would be fulfilled after death. That was the hope that they had. They were looking for a city built by God, verse 10, that God was the foundation. So it wasn't just Jerusalem, though Jerusalem is part of the promise. In the promised land, this picture of God and his presence and where he would be. But actually, we find that there is a future city. This future city is referred to in chapter 13, verse 14 of Hebrews. It's described as the heavenly Jerusalem in chapter 12, verse 22. This is the home ultimately they're looking for in verse 14. So that they don't turn back to something earthly, they are looking to the heavenly promise that is. The city of God. Picture of Revelation 21. New heavens coming to the new earth and making all things right. Where there will be no more crying or no more pain or no more death anymore for the former things will have passed away. That's the promise of what is to come. Only coming because there is power over death. But that is the city that is on offer. It is a better country. Verse 16. There's so much in Hebrews that is like... This is all better than anything else you might pursue. Don't turn back. We're not going to find satisfaction, fulfillment. We're not going to find uh, peace ultimately in safety or money or all these earthly things. These are, these are essentially what we're, what we're doing is we're taking that which was created and we're making that more important than the one who created it. This is the theme that runs throughout Scripture. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning that, that we reject the lord the fountain of the living water jeremiah and we create cisterns that are broken and don't hold water we want that which is we're created for we want the living water but we seek it in places that won't hold it this is what we're tempted to do and we're invited again and again here to turn to jesus and to turn to his promises because ultimately he does have power over the final enemy and that is death verse 19 shows us this resurrection hope that even Abraham had centuries, millennia ago, even before Jesus was on the scene, he has this hope because he considered that God was able, verse 19, to even was able even to raise him from the dead. And he didn't have to do that. He figuratively raised Isaac from the dead so that Abraham didn't have to sacrifice him. But he had hope that... Here is the one through which the promise of God to build this great nation, to bless the whole earth, came through Isaac. He had hope that God was in control, that he could even rise, raise Isaac from the dead if that were necessary. And he was right to have that hope. Because that's exactly what happened when God's son was sacrificed. Jesus was sacrificed, and he did rise from the dead. And that resurrection is real and true. For Jesus, and then the promises, and we see it all over First Corinthians 15, which I would encourage you to read, particularly in this Easter season, but all the time, uh, that that resurrection is not only for Jesus, it is for you and for me. Bodily, resurrection on offer for you and me. That's the promise of this future hope. That is what is to come. And we're invited into the to faith that believes that. And I do think, I've already noted this before, but it's important to note that even in this hall of faith, these, these that are this example given to the church for centuries to come. Here's what faith looks like. These folks were a mess. Sarah laughed. Abraham, man, he lied all along the way. He, 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 he thought, oh wait, God's not going to fulfill the promise, and so I'm going to seek an heir through his uh, slave Hagar. I mean, just a mess in so many ways. Jacob, a mess. Uh, it, it just... This is not a picture of get it right, have enough faith. We think of often in terms of if I have enough faith, then then God will love me. If I get the right level of faith, and it's not, we talked about this before. Todd talked about this last week. It's about the object of our faith. And Sarah does a great job, even if she is messed up, right? What does it say about Sarah in verse 11? It says that she considered him faithful who had promised. He was the object of her faith. And and sometimes our faith is greater than at other times. But ultimately, it boils down to what is our faith in? If it's in him, he's going to accomplish it. And we're invited to, in light of what he promises us, to live for him. Not living for him so that the promises would be fulfilled, but because of what he's promised, we believe and we trust and we turn to him in obedience. Out of faith. Let's pray.